You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. My name is Tony Vu. I'm a chef entrepreneur with a big passion to uh, leverage the power of food for social impact. Founder, chef of Mamang uh, in Flint, Michigan. Uh, also executive chef and co-founder of The Good Bowl in Traverse City. And I'm the founder and executive director of Flint Social Club, a capacity building program for marginalized in the food industry. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Thank you, Tony. What does it mean to be Vietnamese to you nowadays? Being happy-go-lucky. Um, you know, I, I think when I think of Vietnamese people and what makes me feel at home and feel really connected, uh, there there is just this undeniable, like, happy-go-luckiness, I guess, uh, about us and, and our ways. Um, you know, particularly coming from, you know, a history of, you know, strife and, and coming from war and rebuilding and everything. Um, you know, I, I, some of the most impactful um, kind of relationships and, and interactions that I've had have come through knowing these stories, knowing these stories of, of struggle and everything. But throughout it all, just always maintaining like this, this sort of positivity and optimism and just kind of, you know, human connection throughout it all. Um, you know, at the end of the day, there's always some kind of like smiles, some kind of like willingness to, to share um, and a lot of like, you know, just really beautiful human relations in it all. So to me, it's, it's, that's, that's what being Vietnamese uh, comes down to. You know, it's an interesting answer, happy-go-lucky, because, um, you know, I haven't heard that yet since all of my time doing this. Happy-go-lucky. And I want to sort of spotlight um, your family um, before we get into the growing up part of it. Um, your family is, um, you know, starting with Bakle Sun Kwa and Le Quing and Ilan and Ko Tai Tang. Well, she's an in-law, but and Mimi yeah. Vu. Um, all of these people uh, are people that I've uh, come into contact with in my life or have, you know, read or have known extensively about. And um, when I think about those people, I do kind of get this sense of happy-go-lucky. You know, <laughs> they seem like very positive people. Um, do you think that that's something to do with the, the family um, culture? I think so. Um, 
you know, and maybe that's that's why that's what being Vietnamese, you know, or that's what uh, it means to be Vietnamese to me. Um, you know, there it's I have an awesome family, um, and you know, even if we don't see each other for years or anything, just being able to come back and just like you know just joke with each other and like you know poke fun and just kind of you know connect in these like really you know just happy like spaces. Um, you know, it's it's really really amazing, and it's something that I think through my lens, um, you know, growing up uh, without much, um, much of a, a Vietnamese community surrounding me um, to be, to, you know, to kind of have that, that connection to them and, and have that perspective of how I've experienced, you know, my, my kind of, um, you know, identity uh, and growing into my identity as a Vietnamese person, um, you know, it's, it's, it's provided a really awesome kind of backdrop to, to, to seek out you know, who I am. So you didn't grow up around a lot of Vietnamese people? No, not at all. Um, so I grew up in a tiny farm town uh, called Millington uh, with a population of, well, I think it was like 2,000 people or something like that. It's like, you know, it's, it had like one traffic light. Um, you know, everybody knew us. So I'm, I apologize. I got my dog beat. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was a really small farm town. Um, so, you know, the story is that my, you know, my family came over um, from the war. Um, my, my dad his military contacts, uh, ultimately ended up in Flint, Michigan to do his residency um, at a hospital. And that's where I was born. And uh, from that program, um, the town of Millington basically uh, adopted my family. And so uh, we ended up relocating there. Um, and uh, yeah, my father was set up with, with a, a medical practice. And uh, yeah, that's where I spent the first uh, 15 years of, of my life. Um, it's like kind of small town community. Um, I wouldn't say I was completely disconnected uh, by any means. Um, that was obviously my everyday life, but I was also really lucky in that, you know, my parents did maintain uh, their connections to the community and friends and family and everything. And so uh, I was able to travel a lot. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time in Houston, uh, spent a lot of time, you know, uh, traveling out to California where a lot of uh, my, my relatives are. Um, you know, um, my father's side of families in Paris as well. And so I was a devoid of the culture by any means, but, um, but yeah, very, very much. So I was, I was, you know, raised in, in a town where we were the only non-white family. And so, what, what did you expect yourself to do as you were growing up, uh, for the future? Um, it was pretty typical. I was obsessed with being a doctor. Um, oh, I wanted wow. to be a, a surgeon, um, and, you know, it was pretty, pretty much a, a one track kind of thing it wasn't anything that was asking me or anything too I just like you know just I guess I just really wanted to do it um and you know I'll never forget it. I remember my father sitting down with me at some point like maybe I was like he was like eighth grade or ninth grade or something and he kind of had the talk with me of like you know what I wanted to do like what direction everything in life and um you know he I told him I wanted to be a doctor and he basically convinced me not to, to, to oh to shit really yeah. um and Looking back, I, I totally get it now as well, because, um, you know, I think where he came from and, you know, how he was a doctor, um, it, it was just completely different in an American healthcare system. Um, and it was just more of like this kind of business and grind and things like that. I think in a way, like he actually really enjoyed being in Millington because he was he just became a straight up like, you know, country doctor like doing house visits and like, 
you know, exchanging like, you know, like, uh, like you know, his medical services for like, you know, milk and like, you know, all these like cool like, bargains or like barter system kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think in the end, he, he, what he told me was that, you know, he knew that I had a really good heart that I really wanted to help people. Um, but in the end that he didn't think that that was going to be the right field for me. Okay. So what, what's the reason you think he said that? What was his assessment? I don't know. Um, you know, my, my father and I, like, so he came from a very, very, um, kind of stern and disciplined family. Um, you know, my, my grandfather was, was a schoolmaster. It was just, you know, they were just very, very, you know, very much the opposite of the lay side of the family. Yeah. Rigid. Yeah. Very rigid. Um, and so, you know, I, I think part of it was just, him assessing and seeing me throughout life and just maybe seeing what, you know, that, that maybe there was something else out there for me. Um, maybe also not wanting to like, you know, to not wanting me to just follow his footsteps just because that was what I was supposed to do because everybody else, you know, I'm not pretty much, every, all, you know, that whole side of the family is all full of doctors as well. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I, I, I really, I'm not really certain um, other than it was just kind of maybe that personal connection uh, between father and son and, and what he saw, you know, uh, where he saw my potential. Yeah, because if you think about it, um, looking back today, that's pretty progressive for that time for yeah. anybody to tell your kid, you know, especially if your kid wants to do it. And to tell yeah. your kid, look, um, that my opinion is don't do it, you know, yeah. very progressive way of, of looking at uh, career. Yeah. And I think, you know, he he he's, he definitely saw my, my innate talents with like, you know, math and science and computers and like my interests in all those as well. Like, you know, we were, all, we were like we were the first family to have a computer in the entire like town. Um, and so, you know, I took to, to technology at a very young age. And so I think. Probably also with that and seeing that, you know, he did uh, say that, you know, I think maybe you should get into, you know, into computer science or technology and things like that as well. So I think, you know, he, he was kind of assessing things with, you know, not only just my, myself, my personality, but then maybe it's just how the world was kind of shaping up as well. Yeah. And, and how the world was shaping up and what you have uh, ultimately decided to do is not computers and not technology and not science it's very different it's community and it's food and it's very um things that are much more human um based you know your your journey into to all of these things of and we'll get into it uh you know the music and and going down to live in yeah. south america and all of that stuff very different from what um from what it sounds like you're you're heading into yeah, you know, I, I think that was the uh, the unintended uh, consequence of that um, that conversation because um, you know I was always good at computers, but and I was interested, but I never really was passionate about that at all. Um, and so, ultimately, you know, from that conversation, you know, obviously over the course of the years as well, like I definitely stuck into more of um, the creative side of things, and you know, ended up. Um, you know, dedicating about 15 years of my life after that uh, to um, to being a musician and being music. What what did you want to do as a musician? Oh man, so this this is gonna take you back to you know just being like a, a young 
you know, just like hopeful, like, you know, want, like I want to change the world with music, basically. Excuse me, one second. I'm going to. Okay. So, yeah, basically, I, I you know, I, I wanted to, you know, in my mind, change or save the world. It was like, you know, I was like full of just, you know, energy and like optimism. And like, it was, you know, especially like in my upbringing and everything going through high school and stuff, it was like me against like the man and like, you know, seeing all the injustices in the world with like, you know, corporations. And like, you know, I got really deep into just like, you know, this kind of sense of like, I guess almost like activism of, of sorts of like, you know, trying to change people's perspectives and minds and everything and, and really, um, you know, tapping into the power of, of, of music and creativity to be able to get these messages and everything across. But, but why music? Why, why do you think, why did you think music would be a channel to change things in the world? Um, you know, I think that was probably just based off of my life experience. Um, you know, I, had always played music. Uh, so I started drumming when I was eight years old. Um, so that was always something that was just like really strong in me. Never in the beginning did I ever think that it was gonna be a career or anything like that. But I think um, as I kind of, you know, maybe the the the, the focus of, of being a doctor and, and living this other, you know, building this other life um, started to fade, um, it was filled with, you know, this excitement of, of creativity and, you know, as I kind of delved into to more of, of that path, like it's just started to open up all these different, you know, uh, opportunities and relationships that um, ultimately just ended up, um, you know, just kind of uh, like growing me into these kinds of mindsets, um, you know, and part of, obviously a big part of it too is like, you know, going through high school, going through puberty, <laughs> like, you know, all the, all the high school, th- you know, kind of things that, that one goes through, um, with like you know, for particularly for me with like identity and things like that as well it was just this really amazing place for me to uh not only explore myself but then also express myself um in a way where i could be free and, and be authentic got it and then with uh so you get into drumming and this is the first step of the music process for you um what do you do with it um, so, you know, I, I, I went through, through, you know, just kind of like school, schooling and everything and, 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 uh, you know, band classes and things like that. And then, uh, when I went to high school, I ended up, um, coming to, to Flint, uh, to go to a, a private school. And, you know, I was very, very much out of place there. Um, I didn't know anybody. Um, I was this like scrawny, like Asian kid that was like super shy and everything as well. And so, uh, you know, it was through music. Uh, I, I remember like sitting down at the lunch table and like uh, somehow somebody had found out that I played music or some good friend, Brent Dutcher. Um, so he came to me and like was asking me and he's like, oh, so you're a drummer? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, I play bass. And, and then, you know, next thing you know, you're making friends and you know, you're, every day after school, you're going to, to somebody else's basement to, to start jamming and everything. And so that kind of like started the path. And so very much I think music was intrinsically tied to also my development, um, you know, as as a person, my my character, um, you know, uh, growing up through through high school. Yeah, that um, that formative uh, those formative years, having something to to grab onto, um, really helps shape our our identity because it leads us into all of the times that we have free time. We spend it with these sort of people, and it makes us think about. Uh, 
you know, the path that we we eventually take. And I think that that for me, um, it 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 reminds me of the, t- the time that I kind of like was in that music path that early in my life. When you're around mm-hmm. people who are like thinking a little bit more freer, it yeah. the patterns kind of dissipate. They they go away. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there was a really amazing um, kind of scene in place in Flint. Um, it's called the Flint Local Four Thirty Two. And it's, uh, I'm pretty sure, the nation's oldest um, all-ages music venue. And it was so cool because, like, you know, from all the surrounding, like, high schools and everything, it was a thing. Like, you could start a band and you had this venue and this really supportive scene um, of, like, you know, just all these different misfits. Like, you know, I can only imagine, like, pulling, like, you know, kids' parents, like, pulling up to the club and, like, you know, you look at it the outside and there's a bunch of, like, kids with like spike jackets and like, you know, crazy hair and like whatever kind of thing. But it was a really, really awesome scene. Um, and the access that we all had to be able to be creative, create something, be exposed to like, you know, to, to the support of not only just your friends, but then also the scene that was kind of built in um, and be able to build up things from there. In addition to just have fun um, was, was really, really awesome. And, you know, I, it was such a, a formative um, period of, of my life that, you know, looking back, it absolutely laid the foundation for a lot of things that I'm currently doing, um, especially when it comes to kind of like organizing and, and networking and things like that as well. What did you do after high school? Uh, after high school, uh, you know, I went to college and so I went to, to uh, University of Michigan. Um, but I think by then, um, you know, it was just, I, I was just one track mind. I was just so, so passionate about music and just, you know, I lived, breathed, ate it. I mean, it was, it was everything like to me. Um, and it, it served me in, in a lot of really um, unique ways as well. It wasn't just about like, you know, having this career and like, you know, touring and, you know, playing shows and things like that, but also from a personal standpoint for me, um, you know, it, it helped me find a, an outlet. Um, for a lot of just sort of like the afflictions that I had uh, like growing up. And so, you know, I was, you know, as, as a kid, um, you know, I had these like kind of, I always carried these like sort of, um, you know, anger, like outbursts and things like that. Uh, you know, for the most part, I was a really good kid. And I, 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 you know, always meant really well. and was like, you know, just like, you know, always bowed, <laughs> things like that. But um but underneath it all, there was definitely something just, you know, just something really, really deep um, that I never really understood. And, um, and you know, it, it was it was a lot of things. It was like anger, it was frustration. It was just like, you know, a lot of these like really, really um, sort of like dark emotions and stuff that, you know, for the most part would lay hidden. And then there would be these kind of like triggers and outbursts and things like that. Um, and, you know, I would almost like black out or something. And then I would like kind of like, you know, come to or whatever after after it all and then just kind of like see what I did or be aware of like, you know, just like the things that I did or said or whatever, things like that. And I would be appalled. It was like so far from who I was and wanted to be as a person. Um, and so in a way, I feel like music kind of laid that foundation where, it, you know, it, in, in a certain aspect, it kind of saved me, I think, um, because what I found was that through music, I was able to actually express all these intense emotions and feelings, whatever it was that I felt that was like bottled up in me. And I had a space and a venue to be able to express all that 
Um, but it, it, it didn't come up, you know, the, the effect of it was that through a show or, you know, performance or whatever, almost like this alchemy would happen where like, even though it came from this place of like, you know, this dark place or whatever, how people would perceive it would be the complete opposite and people would be inspired and like amped up or like, you know, whatever. Um, and so for me, it, it kind of, you know, it, 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 I guess in the beginning, at least it served as, as this process for me to kind of like work through um, and get a lot of these things out in a very, you know, kind of like safe space. You know, I always like to say that, like, you know, because like my style of drumming, especially earlier on, I was just like, just balls to the wall, just super intense, like, threw everything out. Yeah, madman. I, I would like bleed all of my drums and everything. Like it was like very violent and like, you know, just throw everything that I had, you know, at, at every show. It was like almost like I was going to war or something like that. Um, and, you know, it, it helped me really hone in and kind of laid, laid a, 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 a sort of foundation for me to actually, um, you know, take control of those emotions in a certain way, um, you know, and uh, yeah, it laid, really laid the basis for me for, for you know, kind of the rest of, of, of my journey of, of, of self-discovery as well. I'm 40 years old. Um, I'm the youngest of everything, pretty much. So like, um, you know, I, I, I think later on in life, I'm starting to understand more about like the older cultures, my, you know, aunts and uncles, my parents, you know, like, you know, and, and everything as well. So I, I can only speak to my personal experience, but, you know, I, I think one aspect of it is, is this resiliency um, of getting through adversity. Um, and, you know, I guess it's not like that we didn't have suffering, like you said. Um, you know, I can take, you know, we can take things from like famines from like, you know, obviously all these different wars. I mean, with Japanese, with the Chinese, with, you know, um, you know, just colonialism. I mean, there's just so much within that where I think even if you look at it as a whole, where, you know, wh where was there even room for a Vietnamese identity within all that? Um, when, when we're constantly trying to just fight for that identity. We have this huge history between Vietnam and, and China of like, you know, China, you know, uh, basically coming in, you know, conquering us, then us rising back up and that, but then what would, you know, historically what would happen was that the best parts, you know, I say that lightly, but like the, the best parts of, or what we saw that worked for us, such as Confucianism or whatever it was, we'd kick the Chinese out, but then we would take, you know, uh, absorb these kind of like other cultural things as well. And so I think that also speaks to a certain kind of adaptability um, and getting back to the resiliency and everything that, that, that we have uh, as a culture. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's, I, I see it too. Um, and it, it's something that I kind of saw in real time as I started to, uh, you know, visit Vietnam and come back every year and everything and just seeing all the changes, you know, um, there's clearly so much talent creatively in Vietnam. Like it's, it's insane. Um, yeah. You know, today it's, 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 you know, arguably, you know, just uh, almost a different group of people than our families, you know, previous generation. It's just, yeah, uh, it's on fire. I love it. Love to see it. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. But, and what I've seen over the years is like, you know, on one end, you know, our creativity, you know, it, it has been channeled into a lot of copying, you know, and so whether it's like, you know, I'll take, for example, the art studios that are there, 
you can walk, walk into some of these art studios and you'll see perfect, perfect recreations of like all these masterworks. And, you know, they, they're like, you know, and they're just chock full and you have all these artists just like, you know, recreating all these things, right? Um, and I remember it was so striking to me because, you know, I was like tourist in these places and like hearing about like, you know, the, the, the artists and talents and things. And, you know, and the biggest question that I had was like, you know, with all this talent, why is it being channeled into, you know, copying masterworks and like doing these things that were already done? Like, where is this outlet for actual self-discovery and like creativity um, outside of, of, of those kinds of like parameters and everything? Um, and I think you look back at, it, back at it today and it's like, it's completely starting to shift, uh, especially with all the younger generations and everything and more exposure to the rest of the world and, and the inspiration that comes from that as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really complex. Like, I, I don't, I don't know if there is an actual, like, you know, answer like to that, but I think there is a combination and just kind of like our history, um, and, you know, just how Vietnam has been just this place that has continually been like, you know, conquered and, and, and controlled um, to, and, and that set up against this, this, you know, this kind of, I, you know, the, the, the culture and like the, the Vietnamese people just really fighting to have our own sense of identity uh, throughout it all. Um, so I think it's the answer is probably rooted somewhere within there. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm always looking for the, complexity um answer and i think you you hit it right in the head it's like if you're dealing with surviving there's no other complexity other than finding bread to to put on your table yeah um, yeah because you look you know you look at these these different movements of like you know like the renaissance or like whatever it is and like you know these all these cultural explosions came from prosperous times you know, you didn't have to worry about like, you know, food, like, you know, there's strong economies and everything. And so because of these, these, you know, successes or these strong societies, um, then the time was created to be able to explore more of these kinds of, uh, you know, uh, art forms and, and expressions. That's a good point. So you eventually made your way down to uh, South America, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me about that journey? Um, yeah, that's a really, really <laughs> talk about complex things. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be mindful of time and everything, but, um, ultimately what, what came of, of, you know, I guess like my, my band music life and career was, uh, by the end of it, um, you know, being based in Flint, um, and, you know, we went through, you know, well, basically it was, it was the opioid crisis. Um, they hit Flint first, or it was one of the early places where it hit and it hit really, really hard. Um, and so long story short, um, you know, I was the only one out of my band that uh, wasn't a heroin addict. Um, and so, you know, wait, 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 I, I, I'm, let me, that's heavy. <laughs> you're, you're telling me that all of all of your band members and the people, I mean, there's always band members coming in and out. There's always people around uh, bands. And you're saying that basically in your world, you're the only one who didn't get caught up in the heroin crisis of that era. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, shit got really, really dark. Uh, let's just say that. And um, yeah, it was, it was a really, really difficult uh you know, position and time in my life because, you know, these, these were like, I was in one band this entire time. 
um, you know, since high school. And, you know, they're my brothers. Um, and as things started to progress and everything, you know, this whole kind of charge of like wanting to save the world with music then turned to wanting to save my brothers through music. Um, and so I, I went through this whole period where I was like, you know, I did everything. I was like working on these shows, like those tours, like, you know, just organize everything. I mean, I was basically running and just basically put, put it on my, put the band on my back and, in my thought process, at least, you know, I could, ex you know, grow the band, expose us to like, you know, all these like great things and opportunities and things like that. And somehow that would get them change to switch, but what, what, yeah, change things, whatever it was. Um, it was so hard because like, you know, like the, the thing that held me uh, for so long was that I didn't want to give up on them. Um, and, you know, it, it, things got so bad to the point um, where, you know, I, for the first time ever, like I started to think about things outside of, you know, that tunnel vision of sorts. Um, and this is where life starts to kind of, you know, lift its veil of sorts. Um, and, you know, through a series of just kind of like different events of, of awakenings of sorts, I started to, you know, see life more through the lens of myself. Um, and, you know, just my own kind of path of, of healing and, and spirituality and, and, and self-discovery. And so the more and more, you know, that started to open up and I started having those kind of, kind of you know, that dialogue with, with myself. And, and um, the, the more I, I started to understand that what I was doing, um, I was doing it because I just wanted to heal myself. Like I wanted to feel good i wanted to know that i was helping and everything by helping other people but uh at the end of it all and what really started this whole journey that led me to peru was that um i needed to heal myself uh if i really want to help somebody then i need to make sure that i'm right um and my spirit's right and that i'm operating from my heart not not from these ideas or, or deflecting certain certain things that I, that i was dealing with at the time um, onto others and other situations. So that was kind of like the first step um, in, in changing that mindset. Um, and it, it was a, it was a really, really um, interesting time in life because you know uh, as my spirituality started to open up and I started to kind of explore um, these these different paths, um, I mean there's really no other way to explain it like there's like, magic basically started happening in my life and i started feeling um not only like feeling but also seeing connections um you know to to my family to my ancestors I, it really felt like you know in particular during this phase that my grandfather um who i'd never met before i'd always heard stories about how amazing he was how creative he was he was like this um you know champion calligrapher um you know he's a, a medicinal like a really powerful uh, medicinal healer as well um, had always been like really curious. Um, you know, I'd seen like a couple of photos of him. He looks like a like a wizard, basically. Wow! Um, but never really knew anything uh, on about the him. on the lay side or the the vu side. On the lay side, of course. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, <laughs> and so I'm just kidding. Um, no, it, and it's, it's true. I mean, that that was part of this whole journey. It was just like really understanding and getting to know that side of my family. And uh, yeah, I would say like during this period, it really felt, I really felt his presence. Like he was helping me 
guide me like you know through all this and like leading me in certain directions so um so yeah as, as so all this kind of you know stuff starts happening you know i start going through it all like i got really into just like reading like um and, and studying just like you know just different um you know just, i would say just kind of like um you know spiritual people masters books things like that and just really starting to develop you know my own connection uh to it all and um you know some really amazing things started to happen um and you know i i as i go through this whole process um you know it, it, i started this process of basically analyzing myself my life you know my habits the things that i'm doing uh realizing what really wasn't serving me or my purpose um and then just starting to kind of like let go of these things or consciously and knowing that like i wanted to to, to let go of them remove them or heal them whatever it was and as i started to do that like you know this kind of process opened up to where you know the things that i would remove from my life um they basically would create more space for these other things you know, really beautiful things to kind of come in and help me along with the process. And so by the end of it all, uh, after going through these and just kind of getting all these like really amazing signs, you know, I, during this period too, like, you know, during the darkest part of, of, of it all, like I would say for about five years or so, like I didn't have dreams anymore. Um, and during this whole process, I started having really vivid dreams. Um, some were kind of repeating dreams as well like visions and things like that. And so, um, you know, during this process, I started dreaming about being in this place um, and I was on a mountaintop and, you know, I'll never forget it. I was like on this mountaintop and like these like clouds are like, I was so high, like these clouds are like kind of passing through me and I can feel like, you know, just kind of like, you know, just the, I feel it right now, actually, you know, just like the kind of tingles of like that you get from it all, like the coolness of like clouds and everything. I remember looking across a valley and there was like another mountain right there that was like even bigger kind of thing. Um, and this dream just kept happening like over and over again. And, you know, I remember one day I was like sitting at my computer, um, you know, so checking my email or something. And, uh, you know, I saw a side banner ad for Peru and the photo that was used for that ad was the same exact place that was in my dreams um and so i saw that and it was just like full stop like what the heck is going on kind of thing um and you know that opened up uh, a whole series of kind of you know just events like i, I don't want to even want to say coincidences because they weren't uh, it was definitely definitely kind of like a kismet kind of thing. Like, you know, I was, I, I felt like I was being told or called to, to go to this place. Um, and so during this process, you know, I'm going through all this processing and everything. And I finally come to the decision and to, uh, to just break up with my family. Um, and I was like, I, this is it. Like, you know, I'm life is leading to a new path and I have to leave this behind. And it was, it was one, it was one of the most difficult decisions uh, that, that I had had um, but I did it and I, I also realized that how, how much space the band had taken, you know, in, in my life, my identity and everything. And when I finally made that decision to move on, um, you know, it, it not only did, was it, did I feel like so much weight off of me, um, but also I realized that I had literally 
moved an ocean's worth of space um, for this new new things to, to kind of come into. Um, and so, you know, through a series of other events, uh, I, I ended up going to Peru. I, you know, I, I didn't know anybody, um, didn't even speak Spanish. Uh, I just had the, you know, the opportunity to purchase a ticket, and I did, and uh, left it at that. And so, yeah, that's how I ended up there. Um, so I went without, uh, you know, without any any clue other than just kind of this connection to, you know, my, my grandfather to like, you know, the, the universe and just trying to follow the signs that, that ended up placing me there. You know, we're, we're like deep into our interview and we are both food people and we um, we have not even talked about food. And what gets me about doing these interviews is that very thing is before people even get to where they need to go in their life, the point where they're starting to do things that are kind of in line with who they are, we go through all this circuitous paths, right? Like we just go and we're all discovering. And I hope that the young Vietnamese generations and or even young anybody uh, that can hear these stories, understand that, you know, it takes a long time to settle in into the things that we are meant to be doing. And sometimes what we're meant to do is just almost a transitory rite of passage as well. It's not permanent and it's just on our journey to to dying. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's just on you the know, journey I, to death. Yeah, you know, I and I see that in a lot of ways of just like even with relationships as well. Um mm-hmm whether they're long-term, short-term, whatever, um, you know, the, the girlfriend I had at the time, um, she played a huge role in, in, in helping me get to that point, like me, with me understanding my own self-worth and, you know, what I was doing and the, the, the environment and, um, you know, that I, was, that I was choosing to place myself in and that, you know, that I, I, that I was worth more, that I was, uh, you know, I was meant to do, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's like bigger, better things necessarily, but that I would, that it wasn't that, you know, uh, this really dark place, you know, that I found myself in. And so, you know, and that relationship, I think, served its purpose, like very specifically yeah. um, to help me get to that point. And even when, you know, I, I think about, you know, my, my time in, in South America, you know, I mean, I can literally look back and see how, you know, I met this person that then and had this conversation that then led me to this person that led me here, led me here, and then ultimately, you know, I'm having like, you know, a really, really profound, you know, experience where like I'm, I'm understanding and peeling back these layers of myself. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really, really great point is like, you know, it is that, that, you know, nothing is, is forever. Um, you know, it, it is this kind of, some things are kind of transitory, but, you know, that, that is the, the embrace and acceptance of that. I think yeah. it's something that we as human beings um, have a lot of difficulty in uh, because we want to maintain things, we grasp for things, um, and we don't want to let go. I have to circle back to uh, the band members. Um, do you know how they've all ended up? Yeah, yeah, I still keep in touch uh, with them. Um, unfortunately, uh, one passed. Um, uh, the others are actually doing really well. Um, you know, they were able, it was, it was their own like, you know, journey and everything, but 
Um, but yeah, they, they're, they're, you know, they, they made it to the other side, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, uh, one of them still is an amazing, amazing musician and he's, you know, he's still, you know, on, on, on that path and he's amazing, um, you know, has this amazing career as a musician. Um, others just kind of like, you know, just stepped out of it and, and started to do, um, just, just different things. So. Yep. Um, and before we get into the, the the food stuff, I want to uh, address the whole Flint or not even address that. I just I have a lot of questions about uh, mm -hmm. Flint and um, the water crisis. And, you know, how has Flint changed um, in the last decade or so with all the adversity? Um, It's changed a lot. Um, you know, things are, are definitely brighter in Flint. Um, there's a lot more economic activity and development. Um, I think more importantly, there's, there's a lot of, um, it could be better, but there's more opportunities uh, for the, the community um, to actually lay claim to, you know, to our city and, and express themselves as well. Um, you know, in a way, I, I feel like this, this whole resiliency that we, we talk about, like it's, it's so alive here and connected here in Flint as well. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we come up in blips because, you know, it's not the murder capital and it's like, you know, like auto industry stuff and then it's like the water crisis and like, you know, all these things. But, you know, at the end of the day, like the people are here, the community is here. Like we have, you know, gotten through all these things because of like the strength and the bonds of, of the community. You know, we look out for each other. Um, and, you know, while everybody sees Flint as this place where it's like, you know, it needs to be saved, um, you know, we, we don't need saving as a community, we just need opportunities. Um, you know, it's, it's, there, there's such an amazing, like, built-in, like, hustle and, like, grit to, to people who are from Flint um, and survivalism um, and a lot of creativity, too. Like, you know, I always make the joke that, like, you know, the, in Flint, the same person that, you know, fixes your car you know, can also do plumbing, can also, you know, do electrical work, and then it's probably a weed dealer as well. Um, you know, and so there, there is this, this amazing hustle um, in Flint where everybody just like does whatever it takes, you know, to survive and they end up finding themselves in all these different capacities because of that. Yeah, and it's, it's awesome to, to hear you, um, you have such love for that resiliency, because, uh, you know, it's it's very easy um, to label ourselves as Vietnamese and Viet Pride and all of this stuff, but uh, there's more to just that idea of being Vietnamese because you are a Vietnamese who is very attached to your community in Flint, mm -hmm. and the beauty of that is like, you know, all these big cities, New Yorkers or Angelinos, uh, are always you know East Coast, West Coast, but there is another there's another Tony Vu somewhere in Brazil or another part of the world that is very attached to their community and doing big things in their community and and being part of the fabric of the community. And I am so proud to hear that, you know, that that you've connected and you've you're taking care of the it's just people, right? Just people that you are taking care of in your community. And I think that that's so um, such a, an amazing thing that uh, you can say, you know what, this is the most important aspect of living is the the, the people around us. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it, everybody in Flint gets it, too. Like as much as, you know, I, I you know, 
take care of the community, the community also takes care of me. Yeah. You know, um, and I think that's what makes this place so special um, is that the, the strength and the bonds within that com- the community that exists here. Um, it's, it's really incredible. And it's, it's, it, you know, it doesn't exist in, in many places, at least as far as I've, I, I've seen from a citywide level. Um, you know, everybody's so supportive of, of what anybody is, is doing here. And we, we all just want each other to succeed and win in life. Um, and it's a, it's a really, really incredible place, like, especially coming from, you know, this, this sort of, uh, you know, baseline of, of, you know, just kind of like suffering and, and, and everything. And, you know, it, I, I joke with, my, you know, some of my friends sometimes and it's, you know, they're, it almost seems like everybody in Flint is in some way, shape or form, like, you know, broken. Right. Um, and we all really connect on that. And, and we, we all uplift each other uh, because we see each other authentically, um, you know, kind of, you know, as community members, as brothers and sisters. And it's, it's a really, really amazing uh, 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 community to be a part of. Before I started the podcast, I had read um, different articles about you years ago um, and your work. And, uh, you know, always when you see Vietnamese name, I'm so proud of it always. Uh, You've done a lot. The the footprint of what you've done in in Flint is a lot. So I don't know how to unpack it, unpack this right now. But we got to find a way to start the story from, I guess, leaving Peru to now you um, going on to your journey uh, in the food space. Yeah, so you know, my, my whole journey in Peru, it really kicked off uh, this this five year period of intense self discovery. Um, and prior to this, I had no, you know, no no inclination to, to even try to do anything with food. Um, I love food. My mom's food is amazing, just like every other Vietnamese mom's. But <laughs> my mom's food is like really really incredible. Um, you know, and so I've always had a love for food. And, you know, my family did have a restaurant growing up. I was just a little kid and just kind of like bumped around everything as well. But, you know, I, I never really saw myself like, you know, cooking like that by any means. And so, um, you know, so I guess like starting with Peru, um, you know, it was really this, this huge um, step in my life to really take accountability um, for myself um, and just put more work and effort into, into myself and understanding myself and, and ultimately my development. Um, and, you know, some really amazing things happened there. Like I had so many cool experiences. I ended up like mountain climbing, um, you know, and to kind of circle back to this full vision uh, that I had with, with Peru, um, I came, went to that place uh, I, I found myself in a small town called Pisac, which is in the Sacred Valley. It's just, uh, you know, it's, uh, not too far from, uh, from Cusco. And I remember being there and there's like, you know, one of the, one of the last kind of like intact, fully intact ruins. Uh, that- you have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Kern because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. (laughs) 
I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. As much Pikachu as, as sits at the top of there. And so, you know, I remember uh, going up there with, with a friend that, that, I, that I met, uh, just telling me about this place and where this goes, we plans, went up there in the morning, uh, hiked all the way to the top. And, and, you know, when we get to the top and, you know, kind of walk around and like we get to the ruins and like going through, and then all of a sudden I look up and it hits me and I'm standing there and the clouds are passing through me and I look across, and there's that mountain. And it was just this, this, it's indescribable, but it was a place where like time, space, everything stopped. And somehow I just felt full. And I was shocked at first, but then also I felt like I belonged. Like it was just something where I remember just like smiling and just being like, wow, there, there really is magic in this world. Wow. Um, and so that kind of, you know, led me, especially with being mountains as well, um, yeah. to really pursue this kind of, you know, uh, discovery um, and philosophy of, of being up there. Um, and so I got really, really into uh, to mountain climbing and it just kept going higher and higher and, you know, just got so many amazing life lessons and everything uh, from it all as well. Just, you know, when you're when you're up there and you're just like a speck and like, you know, you're, you're in the shadows of these, these like massive, like powerful, like, you know, kind of, you know, mountains, um, you know, it really puts a lot of things into perspective of like what actually matters, you know, at least in, 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 in that space. Um, and so I was able to experience um, a lot of that. And I think it allowed me to also kind of zoom back and just like really look at life and all the possibilities and purpose and just like all these two kinds of, um, you know, things. Um, and really just kind of reflect and, and draw upon those uh, as inspiration. Um, and so did Peru and um, had this incredible experience and, uh, you know, ended up uh, coming back. And then the, I think a month later, um, I ended up going to Vietnam for the first time. Um, and that was really, really incredible. Um, me uh, because I had this idea uh, for one um, that you know basically so growing up and I think this is kind of like a shared thing um, is you know I, I had I had this kind of identity crisis of sorts you know particularly with my situation like growing up in Millington like you know just not being surrounded by much of, a, of an Asian community let alone Vietnamese um, you know growing up in a musical world where like, you know, you looked at as an Asian and just kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're escalated and just kind of like, it's, it's kind of, you know, like, what are you doing here kind of thing? And then I would play and then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, you're cool now, I can talk to you kind of thing, you know? So it was just like, it was always like me, like trying to prove myself yeah. and self-worth and what it was and things like that. So, um, 
So I always had this idea in my head that like I would go to Vietnam, the motherland, you know, I'd be with my people and I would finally like, I don't know what I thought, but like some red carpets being thrown, <laughs> rolled out and like be embraced as like, you know, like, you know, coming home as a son or something like that. Right. Um, and I get there and uh, everybody thinks that I'm like either like mixed French or Japanese. Um, and, you know, I speak Vietnamese to people and they're just like, oh, you speak such good Vietnamese. I'm just like, I am Vietnamese. They're like, no, you're not. <laughs> like kind of thing. And by that point, for me, it was like, I, I realized um, just kind of just how insignificant to me, at least the weight that I was putting on the sense of like identity and belonging. Wow. Because mm -hmm. by then, I had gone through so many different life experiences, was able to meet so many different people and just had, like have all these like really amazing connections that I realized that I'm actually like, you know, I'm me, like I'm, I'm a child of the world. I can get along with, you know, pretty much anybody, you know, fit in pretty much like, you know, anywhere in, 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 in any situation. And to me, that was like kind of like the big cosmic joke of sorts where it was just like, you know, you're, you're fine. Like stop stressing about it. <laughs> um, and so that was huge. Um, and I, what I can say is that throughout this all as well, um, you know, I, I did have a lot of really profound experiences based around the food. Um, first in Peru, um, you know, uh, I'll never forget one, one of, one of the big ones was, um, you know, I was trying to find, uh, this kind of like, you know, this mystical waterfall of sorts. Like, you know, I was, I was in the, the jungle in the Amazon and it was against all the advice of all the locals. Like, you know, I just wanted to go out and try to find it on my own. It was like eight, eight hour hike to get there. And I was like, I could do it, whatever. So um, here I am, you know, 10 hours later and I'm lost in the jungle. <laughs> and uh, so I remember coming up to this kind of like river crossing and, um, you know, I stopped to, to eat a, 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 you know, some food that I had packed and, you know, it was basically this place where I was like, man, like, I just, please, I just need to get back. And I think by that time too, like this, this sort of dialogue had opened up with the jungle. Um, you know, when you're, when you're in, when you're in the jungle like that and you're, and there's no civilization or anything and you're just literally just surrounded by, you know, the, this wild world or kingdom, um, where, you know, a million things surrounding you can kill you and a million things, a million things can probably heal you as well. Um, you know, it's just this, this, this dialogue kind of starts to open up and these different senses start to open up as well and you start to kind of like see things differently, hear things differently. Um, you know, it becomes very intuitive as well. And so, you know, I'm sitting at this, this, uh, this kind of stream crossing, um, you know, a sandwich and like uh, finally gets to the point where I realized how stupid I was. Um, and so I uh, basically apologized to the jungle um, and you know, basically ask for, for a safe passage for like a way back. And uh, when I say that, um, you know, out of the corner of my eye, I see this like black blob that like comes and it just goes, it hits, hits my ponytail and then it goes off. And then it was so quick, it was just like that. And then as I process it, what I realized was that it was an eagle that came through, like grabbed my tail and then went that way. And I remember the first thing that entered my head when, like, when, you know, that contact happened was go this way. And so, like, happens, and then I'm like, 
process it and put it together and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so realized that that was my, you know, my, my, that was the answer. And so I followed the, the river across that way, uh, leads me out of the jungle back to this, you know, to, to kind of like a, a trail, uh, follow the trail. And then I ended up getting, uh, uh, coming upon this campesino, which is like, a, you know, kind of like a farm. And, you know, I, I see this lady there that's like, you know, knitting something um, on a weave and she sees me. And so naturally she's like, you know, probably like all haggard and everything. And so she's like, comes out and she's, you know, trying to talk to me. Um, I'm trying to speak to her in broken Spanish. Uh, she speaks Quechua because she's like indigenous. Um, and, you know, not really much is like being, um, you know, is, is, is being communicated. But then she looks at me and she goes, she points, she's like, hmm. And like, like that and i was like universal language I was like yeah of course i would love to she's like come here um so i go inside of uh, her hut and you know sit down on the stair floor and she like lays out this spread of like plantains and like fish and like potatoes and you know i'm just like it's just it's beautiful it's like you know i'm just eating this like beautiful food being like you know it's poured with lots of energy and, and love and everything and during this whole time we're just chatting back and forth. And even though we're just like, you know, it's using like our own words or whatever, um, we were laughing, like like in stitches, just like saying things, communicating. It was like, it was really, really surreal. Somehow we had found a way to communicate basically. Um, and, you know, by the end of it all, I don't know if she knew where, that I was trying to get back to like whatever, but she kind of like points me on my way and I like followed her directions and gets me back to, to, to the village that I came from. And so for me, that was that was kind of one of the really first really profound experiences where I saw the transcendental power of food, um, and just how it could, you know, really just break down barriers, whether it was like culturally, language, whatever it was. And so that that was kind of like the the first morsel of sorts that I got that kind of led me onto other experiences in life. Um, you know, the other part would be, you know, going to Vietnam, obviously, and experiencing all the food there and all the joy and everything that comes from it all. Um, you know, meeting my cousins that I didn't even know existed from uh, my father's, uh, you know, first marriage um, and meeting them, hearing their stories, understanding, you know, the struggles and everything that they went through, seeing their personalities, how creative they were, how happy they were as well, and just like, you know, being brought into that that world and like sharing you know, these, these, uh, these conversations and, and, and love like over meals, you know, it, it just it left such a huge impact on me um, and, and my heart and just how I could see how I saw that that was expressed through food. Um, that by the end of it all, um, after five years and just like, you know, going through, you know, a number of these types of, of experiences, you know, I kept coming back every, um, every winter um and i would just you know i was doing it contracting at the time and then you know it was just a way to kind of you know get through and but knowing that there, i wanted to do something else like something bigger was at play and like just kind of over time i wouldn't even say it was a decision it was like another one of those things where like doors were open and i just chose to walk through them and um that's how i got started i basically bought a food truck without any experience never really worked in a restaurant or anything before as well worked on it for a summer and then Armed with my mom's recipe and, and even her help, like starting it off, uh, just kind of hit the ground running. Before we even get into that journey with the food truck, uh, I want to ask you about ceremony mm-hmm. in Peru because um, I feel like 
the stories that you talk about um, have a lot to do with um, magic and um, this idea of um, allowing ourselves to be open to um, this spiritual side that uh, is not related to Christianity or Buddhism, uh, our typical uh, religions in Vietnam. Uh, there are um, different parts of, of, of South American um, spiritual practices. And uh, I think that uh, you and I have talked about uh, you having experience in the idea of ceremonies and, and, and whatnot. And can you tell me about um, the magical side of these ceremonies uh, in Peru? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I had kind of, you know, um, laid the groundwork, I guess, um, to enter more of that spiritual and, and um, kind of older ceremonial, like ancient, like kind of world of that. And so, you know, when, when I got to Peru for the first time, um, you know, I had one contact uh, that, that had set me up with somebody that they knew um, and end up staying with them. And from them, they, uh, they had sent me up with some of their friends to just kind of like, you know, hang out, like whatever. And this group of friends were very much so from, the, from that world of spirituality, of, 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 of plant medicine and everything. And, you know, it, it we started having these conversations. Um, and you had um, never done anything before. You never was part of that world before. Uh, well, not in the ceremonial sense. Um, you know, I guess prior to this, you know, I, I had dabbled in um, you know, psychedelics and everything, and kind of had an affinity of sorts, especially when it comes to kind of you know the expans expansive aspects and the creativity and things that come from that all. Um, but this was a, this was something completely different, and uh, you know, I gained uh, obviously a, a profound respect um, for you know, working with consciousness when you enter these kinds of realms and the responsibility that, that really comes with it and how it ties into, you know, these bigger pictures of, of, of spirituality and connection and things. Um, and so, you know, I, I basically just started, you know, meeting people and like we'd have conversations and one thing would lead to another and like, you know, there were more aspects of even more self-discovery. And um, that's what actually led me to Cusco so I got to Cusco and met some more people as well. And, you know, basically I was just started getting connected to this larger world um, of, of ceremony. And so um, when I was in Cusco, um, and it was almost like a, a weird, like, vetting process of sorts. Um, and this, this really interesting thing happened like when I, and, and with that group and, and, um, and uh when I first came to uh, to Peru, they basically told me that there was somebody that I would meet in Cusco that I needed to go there, and that she was like my sister, basically. Um, and I remember going there with this thought of like, I have to find this person, well, whatever kind of thing. And you know, through these different meetings and contacts, and you know, the network and everything, I end up um, at this this shop. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few shaman kind of like shop, like you know, uh, shops in in, in Cusco and in Pisac. So I was in Pisac and um, I was talking to to the shop owner, 
uh, who, who is, uh, who was a shaman. And, you know, we would just start chatting and everything. And I think right off the bat, like, you know, the, what she was a sesame of sorts, um, and opened herself up a little bit more, at, you know, you know, asked me to come around like later and everything. And, you know, I guess like I passed some kind of test, whatever it was. And in the end, um, you know, she invited me to, uh, to do an ayahuasca ceremony. And so, you know, the, the evening comes uh, of, of, of the ceremony and I get there and, you know, there's like a small group that's just kind of like waiting around to be let in. And I see this girl and, and it's Claudia. And immediately when we get there, we just kind of like look at each other and like there's, there's instantly some kind of like weird whatever connection kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we end up chatting um, and I tell her, I was like, I think I was supposed to like meet you or something. And she's like, basically said the same thing. She was like, yeah, like, you know, there's something weird is like going on here. Um, and I end up in the ceremony uh, that night and that entire ceremony, um, there was a group of, I think about five people. And essentially that entire ceremony became about me and the five people that were in there were there to support me through this whole process of really going into, you know, the core of like, you know, just whatever my demons were and everything, whatever my affliction, everything were. Um, and they were there, there was like two other, or sorry, three other shamans in addition to that. Um, uh, and they were all there to support me um, on this, this kind of like, you know, transition of sorts um, and journey for me to, to get to the other side. Um, and this was the culmination of everything that I was, went through from the time that, you know, I broke up with band um, and ended up in Peru and, and trying to, to, to find like a new beginning, whatever it was. And, you know, that, I mean, this is a whole nother podcast as far as like yeah. what happened with them at all. Uh, but what I can tell you is that by the end of it all, um, I remember, you know, I was in a, a boat of sorts. I remember laying down and um, it was death. Like I, I, I had a, a spiritual death of sorts. Uh, I remember laying down, like passing through this dark tunnel. And there was like firelets and everything. And then I get to the other side and everything opens up. I can see or whatever. And then I can sit back up again and I look and I see myself heading towards Vietnam, which is where I ended up. Uh, a month later and um, you know understood the family side of myself um, and, and that story and how it weaved into so many of these things that I felt growing up and just how it was all connected and it gave me you know an understanding that it wasn't just me that I wasn't just like you know this person with all this anger or whatever it was that there was actually a lot of suffering um, throughout my family um, and that it was all interconnected. You know, uh, I've challenged religion growing up, the spirituality of the theory of spirituality. And, you know, and this is a very superficial challenge, you know, because the rejection of Catholicism uh, from, from my experiences overshadowed so much other people's experiences or, or ideas of spirituality. So when I think about like your experience and your family and who they are and you know it's very different from ending up in peru in an ayahuasca ceremony 
and the beautiful lineage of um, the work that your family does. And, you know, it's very different from ending up in Peru, getting a message that's, you know, could be considered very woo-woo, right? Like, yeah, yeah, this is all like, but there's a reality that comes from all of those sensations that you feel in the vibrations of coming out of the ceremony. And um, I've gone through an ayahuasca ceremony as well. And, you know, it's it's something that is a very real thing. But at the same time, there's a lot of interpret interpreting that you have to kind of do to get to the, the other side. Um, so I want to ask you, um, did you arrive at these interpretations in just one shot? Or was there a series of these things that made you ultimately believe in the direction that you were going into? Um, it was definitely a series of things. Um, I think that some of these epiphanies of sorts were concentrated around the ceremonies. But, you know, it's so much of it is it, it is subjective, you know, yeah. and from one, one aspect, I could look at it and, you know, as the experiencer of it all, and it was magic and it was amazing. And like, you know, you, you're, you become one with the universe, you, you see everything, you see your past lives, you know, you, you, you it's, it's very just kind of like, um, you know, mystical and everything. And then that's really real. Like I went through that, like I experienced it all. On the other end, I can kind of look back at it as well. And it's just like, well, clearly I was under this influence, you know, like, you know, there's like, you know, all these other aspects like, you know, um, that were involved. And so, you know, for me, um, you know, what, what I think one is, is it is, it's your personal journey of it and all. And it's not necessarily like a, um, a solution, let's say. Yeah. It's a tool, you know, and you don't need ayahuasca to be able to do these things. You don't, you know, need to, to be in ceremony. You, know, you definitely don't need to go to Peru to like, you know, to, to, to put yourself on, on a path to, 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 to heal yourself or understand yourself in these ways. Um, it's definitely not for everybody either. You know, um, you know, I, 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 I mean, I had a hard time reconciling it because like, you know, especially when you spend so, so much time, you know, in this world of sorts of like mysticism, magic and all these things. And I'm like, you know, climbing mountains and all this stuff and like having all these epiphanies, you know, when I would come back, I would say that I was like drunk on the light. Like, you know, I was like, <laughs> bless this, bless that. Like, you know, I, I, I could not, you know, I, 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 there was very few people that I could actually talk to and sound like I was at least somewhat sane because I was just so far removed from like the shared world that everybody else mm. kind of is in. Um, and so what, I, what that taught me was that this was for me and yes, I can share it. And to be honest, this is really the first time I've ever shared it at least wow. in this capacity with an outside world. Like, um, but you know, it is your, your own journey. It's your own story. Um, and it's meant for you. And for me, what I saw was that through these experiences, I was led to this sort of crossroads of spirituality and uh, creativity. 
um, you know, these worlds, these things came from my ability to connect them. Obviously, one from like, you know, just my mind and just like, you know, these these, these sorts of uh, uh, worlds and instances and things like that. Like that all comes from me. That's all, all from, from within here. Um, and my ability to connect those experiences to these larger aspects of life, you know, family, you know, work, whatever, you know, whatever it is, um, trauma, things like that. Um, that's what I did. And that's how I was able to make sense, not only of that experience, but then life as a whole. Um, you know, you could probably, or at least some people probably could, you know, at least get a similar kind of uh, resolution by seeing a therapist or something, you know, um, whatever it is, whatever your, your path is, um, you know, you could do yoga, you could start meditating, whatever, you know, there's a number of ways to access these things, but I think, um, you know, it's different for everybody. Um, and, you know, for me, and I still, I don't want to say struggle with it, but, you know, to be able to live that kind of life and be that entrenched in that world but then also now pull out and be very much so in this life and society and everything but still try to maintain those connections um you know it's it's a struggle um but it's always there and really what what it is and the the, the x factor and all is that it's you all of that comes from you um, you know, and you're, if, if I've learned anything, I've learned like how capable, um, the human spirit is, how resilient it is and how it can actually, you know, we, we don't give our, ourselves enough credit for, uh, I think most of us don't give us, ourselves enough credit for what we're actually capable of. You know, um, as I listen to you, I, I think about how shitty it is to be a second generation Vietnamese. And here's what I mean. These things that we go through, I, how can we explain this to our parents? You know, I mean, the depth of uh, being drunken on the light, that concept of like being drunk on the light of being in Peru and all the magic and, and having it articulated to your mom and dad at some point, you know, because I come out of a retreat and my wife goes to the retreat we call it a retreat and that's the only thing that we can say it's just a retreat but we can't talk about the intricacies of the structure of what's going on at, at these ceremonies and that's a shitty part about being second so when i look at my children i pray to some spiritual being out there that it does not happen to myself and my children that we lose a generation of communication as a result of the language or this barrier to say, fuck it, we just have to be able to be fiercely open and candid about our experiences. And I hope that we can inspire um, ourselves to either push it out with our children and, and the third generation or reverse it and try to push it back upwards with our parents. because. The beauty of hearing these stories from you and people like you is that it's there's this there's this other way of being this other complete diff, completely different way of seeing you know because the vietnamese we have our culture and then we have buddhism and catholicism and it's that's sort of like the limit of what we 
kind of experience life in that in those frameworks yeah you know and what, what i could say is that you know maybe you're it's it's okay to not be able to explain the whole story i mean you're right how do you i will never be able to fully articulate what i went through you know um especially in like one shot or like you know a book or something like that i mean i can do my best for sure yeah but there aren't enough words in all the languages combined to even begin to be able to paint that full picture because it, it hits on so many different levels and layers you know um of of your own being of your existence of your history of your family you know whatever it is and you know that's something that that i had to try to reconcile and what i realized through that all is that some of that is just for me you know that's that's my story and like you know i can share it with certain people or whatever but you know all of it's going to be just fragments of the greater thing and i think really to me that's what life is you know if you pull it all the way back um you know we're all connected yeah we're, we're all born from this same thing whatever it is it's like there's there's no separation i mean you can look at it you know spiritually you can look at it from science with like you know just straight up like molecules whatever like we're all you know this we're all connected right the beauty of it all is that we can actually articulate these things in different ways and the story might not you know come across and then and, and people might not find a connection not everyone might not find a connection to it but certain people will and i think ultimately that's that's what this this notion of of god or, or the universe or whatever it is whatever your name for it is that's all we can do is is try to explain this big vast expanse of the shared experience through our fragments that we own and that we know, whether it's through a poem, through a mathematical equation, a song, you know, a piece of art, we're all drawn, we're all pulling from that same collective source. You know, energy, mm -hmm. source and we're explaining it and we're articulating those stories, you know, with, with our gifts and our abilities. Um, and to me, that's, that's where, you know, this confluence of like science, religion, whatever it is, we're all trying to explain the same thing. You know, how do, how do things work? Why do they work? You know, you can look at it through God or you can look at it through like, you know, theories, whatever, you know, computations, whatever it is. Um, you know, and so I think part of it for me at least was just owning that and knowing that, you know, I have a lot of stories to tell and they don't just have to come through like, you know, one sitting of a podcast. There's also different ways to express it. You know, I, ex I express my journey to greater masses through food and through trying to, to help other people find themselves, you know, they're going to do it uh, in their food identities. They're going to do it through a different process that I did obviously. But in the end, what I got from all of that is a place where I can be free and authentically myself. And that's all that I want, you know, really for the world. That That's so crazy because on, you know, when people uh, will hit the, to the download or, you know, to check out this episode, 
that would just see a bunch of food stuff, right? From a person named Tony Vu, right? And it's just, you know, they're probably going into it expecting that we're going to hear all this food stuff, this food journey. And for the 90% of the whole episode, we've been talking about this journey that eventually ends up in your food expression. And what you just said is the way that people will experience your experience will experience your experience is through the food that they eat. And that's such yeah. a beautiful, beautiful uh, idea. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm really lucky and I'm really grateful to be able to have that expression, you know, and I still love music. And, you know, I think through drumming, I, I learned how to tap into my creativity and I see life through rhythms and everything as well. And at the end of the day, I, I, I cook like I drum. You know, I, I, I draw from that same source. You know, I have those same rhythms that, that are in it all. Like, you know, I find the same joy and everything out of it. So, you know, we're, we're not one-dimensional beings. Like, you know, um, we have, you look at somebody and they're sure there's a projection of something, but then that projection to you is completely different than what who they are as a mother, you know, a father, a brother, a sister, a friend, so on and so forth. So, you know, it's it's really just for me, I just love all those different aspects uh, of things. Like, you know, and that's really what makes us unique. And it's just how can you articulate those things? You know, yeah. when that down came coming back, I was able to actually have that conversation with my mom. And like she kind of got it, you know, uh, with my dad. <laughs> it was very different uh, i didn't explain to him like you know what i you know just like what i explained to my mom let's say but what i did the conversation i did have with him was just the understanding that i got about our relationship of myself um and so i sat down with him chatted with him about like you know our lives together as father and son um and i felt you know so much love and just like you know this this thing that I, I guess I thought I don't know if I felt like I was missing or whatever but it just it just filled me with with this this immense sense of love you know for my father and from my father um you know I did the same thing with with, with, with my sister too um you know and so it's it doesn't have to be all all one shot you don't have yeah. to just put the clip notes out there or anything it's just like you know it's something that will stick with you um, and you'll continue to learn from, and, you know, hopefully, you know, you just do your best. You know, we left off um, when we were trying to get into the food details at the food truck. But since time is a little bit limited, I want to see if we can attempt to talk about from the, 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 the minute you got the food truck to today, uh, sort of like that journey, if you will, uh, in a few few minutes uh, as we're closing out the episode. Um, and then maybe perhaps in another episode, you know, a few months later, we can talk about, you know, we can pick up where the food uh, truck is. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, for, for your operations, your food operations, and really get into that in a separate episode. But I do want to hear um, from the point that you got the food truck and how it developed into where you are today. Yeah. Um, so with the food, um, I found that through food, that was the best way for me to kind of articulate you know, my experience, like everything that I learned that I wanted to so badly share with the world, um, I found that that was going to be the best um, vehicle to do that. 
um, the most accessible and also because of the impacts that food had um, on me as well. So, you know, I just, like I said, on a whim, I, I found a really cheap, like, beater food truck. It was like a 1959, like, Ford, like, step van that used to be like an Italian hobby truck or something. Um, fixed it up for a summer um, with my friends and was able to run it for, like, you know, I think, like, maybe, like, a week or two or something. Um, and it went really well. Like, people were, like, super excited and, and really supportive. Um, so then shut it down for the winter uh, and then came back for this, the, the next summer, uh, ran a whole season with it. And, you know, it was incredible, just the amount of support and excitement that the community uh, had for it. And, you know, I started off just because of my limitations and everything. So I had a really small menu. I was basically just doing uh, bun mi sasiu and then I would do like avancon uh, or like, you know, just like different random specials and stuff like that. Uh, but mainly it was, it was bun mi. Um, and knowing all this time that, you know, I was holding pho in my back pocket, um, because I knew how good it was, you know, good my mom's recipe or at least where it was. And I knew that as soon as like, I kind of like, you know, would, would, as soon as I served it, that it was just going to open up a whole, whole another, you know, uh, another beast of sorts. So I held on to that until the very end. I think it was like November or something. It was getting a little bit colder. So I decided to, uh, Serve it out um, of the truck. Serve it out of the truck. Wow! And lo and behold, uh, lines all the way across the market. I mean, it was just massively successful. Couldn't even keep up. Um, learned a lot. This whole thing was trial by fire, you know. Um, and it finally got to I think December, um, and I put an announcement out that I was you know shut it down for the season because you know, I was going to travel again, and whole community was just like up in arms, just like no, <laughs> please don't kind of thing. So I held on to it and actually served through like snowstorms with like lines of people standing in the snow, just like trying to find get fun and everything. Wow. And I served up until I think two days before I left to go back to Peru. Um, and so did that, shut it down. Um, and then the following year, um, because of the success um, and you know the, the farmer's market had moved to this brand new beautiful facility, um, they offered me a spot inside there. And so out of the food truck, um, Mamang, which is the name of the food stall, uh, was born. And so, and it's it's been a crazy ride. That was, uh, I think, eight years ago now. And, uh, you know, we opened up there. Um, and within the first three months of being there, I was on the Food Network. Um, you know, it was just everything just kind of like took off, basically. Um, and uh, again, trial by fire, learning everything. I was just like working crazy hours, just trying to keep up with everything. And you know, through through the, the uh, you know the, the the rest of the year, I uh, kind of figured it out um, and had this really solid like you know workflow and system and everything down. And so did that. And uh, you know, through the course of uh, the next couple of years, like I had a bunch of like kind of like carrots dangled in my front front of my face of like people wanting me to open up and. Grand Rapids or like, you know, open up here or partner here, this, there, whatever kind of thing. And, you know, the whole time for me, I just, you know, they're just all opportunities for me to really just kind of like um, analyze situations, really just kind of dig into myself and my purpose and like why I was doing these things. And then ultimately, you know, realize that these weren't the things that like were kind of serving what I was trying to do with food. Um, and so I, I uh, you know, was turning down also during this time, because I was in, um, you know, in the food world now, I was hanging out with other chefs and everything, you know, we would get together and, uh, you know, just kind of have like drinks like after our shifts and things like that. And 
never forget it, but like they, they, you know, we would sit around and it was just like this round table about with the chefs just talking about how much they hated working at their places uh, and how much they hated this chef and like this chef. And they'd all bounce around in these different kitchens and stuff and it just sounds so freaking awful and like toxic. And I remember just being just bewildered and like finally I asked him, I was like, well, this sounds horrible. You're like, why are you guys doing this? Like, this sounds like it sucks. And they all just kind of chuckle and they're just like, this is how it is, man. You know, they're all, they're all super passionate about, you know, cooking um, and wanting to cook the food that they want to cook. But like, you know, this was the, the setup, the culture and everything. And we just kind of sat and ate it. And I remember right then and there making the decision that I would never run an establishment that was like that. And from there, I was on a mission basically to, to change everything. Um, and so that summer, I think, or fall, I, I started uh, Flint Social Club and started it as a pop-up series as a way for my chef friends to be able to cook the food that they wanted. I leveraged the, my relationships and infrastructure with Mamung, um, you know, community partnerships and everything as well. And basically had a sponsored pop-up series. I think we did five of them or something, each one featuring a different chef and, and the food that they wanted to do. And once again, the community came out, all of them sold out. It was like, you know, it's awesome, super fun, massive success. Um, and Throughout the, the following year after that, I kept getting hit up by all these people that, that saw it and just like, man, like, I want to do something. I don't know how to do it. Like, you know, want to get their foot in or whatever it was. And so then the following years, um, my chef friends and I turned into mentors um, and we would take on, uh, you know, people from the community that wanted to you know, get into the food world and we would do pop-ups with them. Each year kind of grew a little bit larger and bigger and everything. And, uh, you know, that was kind of like the the starting uh, point of, of how Flint Social Club, oops, um, how, how Flint Social Club started. Um, parallel to this, um, I think three years after um, I had been running Among, um, I was outreached by an old high school friend who was up in Traverse City. And he said that he had a client that was looking to open a Vietnamese restaurant up there. Um, and she was asking if I wanted to come up and consult. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure. So I uh, made a trip to go up there and um, met someone named Soon Haggerty. Um, she's a Vietnamese person. Um, and she, you know, had always, she's also from, uh, from Southern California as well. Um, and she was in Traverse City and, uh, you know, had, Works in marketing for like the auto industry, like really successful and everything. But she had always had this desire to open up a Vietnamese restaurant. Um, she wanted to do it as a nonprofit uh, because she really wanted to be able to leverage our culture and our food to be able to do uh, to do good. And so I, I get up there and I meet her, and basically within the first hour, um, you know, so many things of like our stories and our family history and everything aligned to where we realized that like, we really wanted to to get, you know, to, to, do, to do this together. So we created uh, the Good Bowl um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the business model that, that, that helps the community out there. And so the model is that a dollar from every bowl um, is donated to a local, national, or global charity. Um, you know, we switch up the charities every quarter um, and the, the community gets to vote on which ones. And, I can say really proudly uh, that over the past three and a half years, uh, we've raised over $100,000, mostly for local charities uh, that we've given. Um, in addition to that, we, you know, we, we came together on the fact that we really wanted to um, create a good working culture, um, combat the toxicity of the, the food industry, and uh, 
definitely have been able and successful to, to build a really amazing crew that, that that offers a lot of care and respect and dignity to one another. Uh, we're employee first kind of establishment, you know, and believe that we treat employees well and that really translates to happy food and happy customer service. Um, and, you know, it was this really kind of amazing thing. Like really what we connected on was that, you know, we're, we're both refugees. Our families are refugees. Um, you know, she came over on a boat in the second second wave. Uh, her family was able to, you know, come to uh, Southern California and just, you know, build up this really amazing, um, you know, kind of uh, produce like company. Um, and, you know, they, they were really successful. And uh, she was really grateful for, the opportunity and and the the open embrace that America had for her family, and I obviously was for my family as well. So um, you know, for us, this we kind of articulate as this was kind of like our thank you uh, to to the to America for for giving our family this opportunity, and we wanted to, to do good by it. So um, so yeah, that's that's where kind of like my 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 all my businesses and everything kind of entail. Um, you know, the Good Bull is still going really strong. We're still at the farmer's market and uh, along and, you know, kind of this next phase of life for me is really, um, you know, delving more into the nonprofit side of things, which uh, Flint Social Club officially organized as last year. Um, and, yeah, we're just out here to, to be able to, to do good and, and to provide, uh, you know, the same opportunities, basically, that, that were afforded to myself and my family uh, and just make sure that, that those, those continue. Your journey uh, is inspiring to me, and I thank you so much for sharing so much of the details of um, the, the things that you've gone through to get to the point that you are today. So once again, um, thank you for coming on and, and sharing. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We'll talk soon, Tony. Thank you again. All right, thanks, Skip. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcast. Thanks again for listening.